So if you turn in your Bibles with me to First chapter, Kings chapter 19, and I just want to piggyback off of what Robert just said about the goodness of God and those moments in our life where we just throw up our hands and we're just like, okay, I'm discouraged. And I want to talk about, I want to just talk about the courage of Elijah. And if I could write out the title, it would be the, the courage, but in front of courage, I'd put like in parentheses, D-I-S, the discouragement of, of, of Elijah. And let's look at 1 Kings chapter 19. I want, to, I want to look at verses 1 through 18. But before I do, I want to read to you James um, chapter 5. And this is a New Testament commentary on, on Elijah. And verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I've always thought such an encouraging verse, isn't it? Like you look at Elijah, this amazing man of God, like he's tearing it up. But he was a man that had a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently. Not like that. I mean, there's the verse continues on that there may not rain, and, and it did not rain for, for three years. And then he prayed again, and then it rains. And when we think about courage, <clears throat> I think we're in, a, in an age where, where politically, on the political, on the political realm, um, Courage can be described as the power to speak your mind and to persuade the unpersuaded and to forcibly make your point. And we've definitely seen that over the last few weeks in the political arena. And I think that the church is once again, we are faced with understanding and defining and walking in what true courage is. What is courage and what is it not? And I just want to look at Elijah here. Elijah here is in a place, and as if you if you can remember correctly, in first in, in the previous chapter, First Kings, uh, eighteen, um, we see that Elijah is um, he comes out of he comes out of obscurity, comes on, on the scene, challenges all the prophets of Baal. We see the fire of God fall from heaven after a twenty second prayer, and burns up the sacrifice and burns up the water around the sacrifice and the prophets of Baal are soundly defeated in their contest of miracles and Elijah's in this place like he takes the, he takes these prophets of Baal Baal was a god an idol at the time which is still worshiped today in America it's just a different name looks differently and was being worshiped and and Elijah takes these prophets down to the river and executes them by his own sword. I mean, that's a man of God right there, isn't it? Like, can you imagine a pastor doing that today? Yeah. <laughs> taking, a, taking a samurai sword and just taking, you know, whatever. Just going down to like, uh, down to the river, down to the gulf and executing, you know, it would be like a cult. I mean, you know, but here's Elijah and I think we look at that. I remember growing up hearing this story about Elijah, like, man, I want to be like that. He's courageous. He's powerful, you know? And he makes a statement. But, you know, I think that sometimes we overlook the full context of somebody's life. And we see here in chapter 19, verses 1 through 18, that Elijah, and look at this with me, verse 1, Ahab tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Now, Ahab is the king, and Jezebel is his cohort. She's a wicked woman. She's a terrible person, a demonic woman that really wanted to bring all this idolatry into Egypt, into Israel. 
and wanted to force the people of God to worship. And, and that's what the world system is always doing, is to mandate on God's people to worship something that is not of God. And so Ahab tells Jezebel. Now, mind here what Ahab says, tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done. But he doesn't. Look what he says and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Now, what's wrong with that statement? Ahab misses the main point that the fire of God came down from heaven and burned up the sacrifice after 20 seconds of praying. And the prophets of Baal had cut themselves and and torn themselves apart and to the point where their blood is gushing out and they could not get their God to answer by fire. And so Ahab doesn't tell Jezebel that. And this is important because whenever God moves, whenever God moves in your life or in the lives of other people, many, many times you can count on the whole story not being told. The only part of the story that's told is what Ahab did to the poor prophets of Baal. All these poor prophets, they were slayed by this terrible man of God and and they killed all the prophets with the sword and then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying <clears throat> so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not take your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow <clears throat> and then then Elijah spirals into the rabbit hole and there's six the rabbit hole of discouragement <clears throat> there's six symptoms of discouragement I think we could look at Elijah and we could see these six these six symptoms of discouragement in our own life. And the first one is, it says here in verse 3 that he ran. He, he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life. You know, there are these moments in our life, and, and Robert alluded to it, where we just, you know, we just see miracles. We see a miracle of God, you know. The house sells in just the most unopportune time, you know, to sell a house. And we just see the hand of God move. And then right after that, we're just in this weird place of just discouragement. And where's God? And <clears throat> I thought it was going to be like this. <clears throat> and there's something, you know, there's a, there's a threat on my life. And so when we get discouraged, when we get discouraged, the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to stop thinking and we're going to start thinking with a little, like a little part of our brain. And I don't I remember the name of it, but it's a part of your brain that either, that, either, that, that will shut down the rest of your brain and absorb all the energy and to start thinking whether I'm going to fight or I'm going to flight. And that's just this little brain. Does anybody remember the name of that? What is it called? There's a, there's a, name, there's a name for that. And, and the first thing we do when we, when we get discouraged, we're afraid and we run. We're just starting to think in self-preservation. You know? And the second thing he does is that he, in verse 3, it says here, and he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And what does he do there? What does he do there? He leaves a servant there. You know, when we get discouraged and we start, we start running, we start ditching people that we have relationship with. Not only just acquaintances, but this is his servant. This is a man that is, is um, involved in his life in, in an intimate way. And, like, um, and so he leaves him there. When we get discouraged, guess what happens? Number one, we run. We start thinking self-preservation mode. And then secondly, secondly, we start leaving, we start, we start isolating. We start isolating ourselves. We get into isolation. Some of you can recognize this in your own life. Third thing that we read here is in verse four. Let's put that together. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. 
and sat down under a broom tree. I don't know what a broom tree looks like. Do you guys know what a broom tree is? I have no idea what it is, but he's under a broom tree and he asked that he might die saying, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. Now, some people interpret that as suicidal. I don't know if I would call that suicidal, but I would say that when we get so discouraged, you know, we've run, we're on the run, we're living in self, self-preservation, then we start ditching, we start ditching people that are meaningful in our lives, we just stop communicating, we isolate, and then the third thing we do is we start looking at our life and dismiss, we start dismissing the meaningfulness and the value of our soul. We just start saying, you know, I'm no better than anybody else in my life. You know, my grandfather, my father, they all died, and I'm going to die too. <clears throat> I'm, not, I, I'm nothing special. You know, remember when Jesus is ministering and then the pushback from, from um, you know, the, in Nazareth, like, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, we start to lose the understanding of the value of our life. We start looking at ourselves like, you know what, I'm just... We start living in an unhealthy form of just self-deprecation. And that can, lead to a, some, that can lead to self-destructive habits. Going to the bar. Going, to, going into some crazy relationship. Making, making some poor decisions financially. Looking for stimulation. Because we stop, Elijah just began to dismiss the meaningfulness of his life as a man of God. And the, the devil wants to discourage you and I. So you and I think about ourselves like, I'm just... Yeah, it's true, but God in you, you're anointed, Elijah, and you're, you're a man of God. The fifth, the, fifth thing that, the fifth thing that happens with Elijah in his, in his story of discouragement is in, verse, is in verse 10. But let me read on here about what God does in the midst of his discouragement. In verse 6, and he looked and behold, I'm sorry, verse, verse 5, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree. That's in verse 5. It's like, this is the next thing. This would be like, I would say the fourth thing that like, when we're discouraged and we're depressed, we just want to sleep, right? And, and not only do we want to sleep, and why do we want to sleep? Why do we want to just check out? Because we want to check out and disconnect from reality. You know, I just want to be unconscious. I don't want to be connected to reality. I don't, I don't want to be engaging my life. I, I, want to be, I want to be inebriated or I want to just be asleep. You know, I want to disconnect. I'm so discouraged that I just want to, I want to disconnect. And behold, <clears throat> as he's sleeping, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Now remember, what's going on here with Elijah? Elijah hears the bad news from Jezebel. He gets a text message or an email from Jezebel. <clears throat> he's on the run, and he's running. You know where he's going? <clears throat> you guys have read the story before. And do we need Spanish translation, guys? You need Spanish translation? Are you guys good? All right. Um, where is he going? Do you guys remember where he's going? Do you guys remember where he's running to? He's running to Mount Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai. And if Mount Sinai truly is in Saudi Arabia, like some people say, that is like, like, that's like a 60-day journey. You know, it's like a 50-day journey. That's a long trip on foot. And he's on that way. Why is he going to Sinai? Why is he going to Sinai? Elijah had just come out of this very powerful moment where he is seeing the fire of God fall on the prophets of Baal. He gets to slay them. This is a very powerful moment. Elijah struggled with power, understanding what is power, what is, what is powerful courage. 
And what happens is, is that he gets, he gets broadsided by this Jezebel's threat. <clears throat> and now he's discouraged. And so what does he do? He starts running. He's running in the direction of Mount Sinai. Why is he going there? Why is he going to Mount Sinai? What happened at Mount Sinai? Remember that Moses was there at Mount Sinai? And Moses went to that mountain. What happened on that mountain? He was at the top of that mountain, and there was a very powerful experience that he had with God. God came down. And, and we'll see later, later on here in, in, um, in Elijah's discouragement, his, his beef is, is that injustice has happened. And the justice of God, is not, the justice of God has, not been, has not been satisfied. And so I'm going to go to this mountain, and I'm going to go and look. I'm going, to, I'm going to revert. I'm going to go back to that point in my life where I saw the power, where I know historically the power of God fell. And it was amazing. Why? Because, because Elijah at this moment doesn't understand what true courage is. He thinks that courage can only come from powerful events in my Christianity. I just want to stop here for a minute. This is us. This is us, every one of us in this room. Whenever we feel discouraged in our Christianity, and in our spirituality, guess what we're going to do? We're going to revert to those very powerful times in our life or the very powerful moments that we've heard from other men and women of God that have done great things with God. And we're going to revert to that, and we're going to try to get back to that. We're going to start moving our life in that direction. We're going to start moving our Christianity in that direction. And guess what? When a church starts thinking like that or when a Christian starts thinking like that, guess what happens? We do not understand where true courage comes from. Christianity today, and maybe even in our own lives, we're going from Mount Sinai to Mount Sinai to Mount Sinai. We're going from power to power to power. And if it's like, if it's not powerful, then I don't, God's not in it. You ever, you ever think that way? Like, oh, you know, God's not in this. This is not powerful enough. I mean, there's, a, there's, a, there's one of the six lust patterns of the human nature is the lust for power, that sense of power. You know, there are times in my Christianity where I can remember, like, in Ukraine or in Poland or just different places in my life where you just where you just sense the power of God and God is moving, miracles are happening, people are getting saved, you know, God, there's a movement of God going on and you look back at that and then you look at your life today and you're like, you know what, I'm no better than my father's who was a, you know, a carnal, natural man. I'm discouraged. And so, so what's happening? Elijah is on his way to where he thinks He's going to experience power over Jezebel because he's afraid. So what happens? He's on the way, and he's exhausted. He's exhausted. That's what happens in Christianity, doesn't it? We get into saying, we need more miracles. We need more power. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we have seen some miracles in this room that are unbelievable. We've seen stuff that, like, man, if we had, if we had a month to tell you stories, just incredible stuff. And what happens to us? We get exhausted on this trip. You ever get spiritually exhausted? Because, like, Man, I just need that. I need that experience again. I just need to like do that tongue thing again. And I'm not against that. I'm just. I'm not. You know. I'm not knocking that. And there's that place for it in the Bible. But I just need this. I need. I need like. I need everybody to lay hands on me, and I need to feel this power again in my life. And I need to be on the floor. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like. Again, I'm not knocking all this stuff. I'm just saying that like, when that becomes the source of our courage, we're setting ourselves up. For the strange woman in, 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 in Proverbs chapter 6 to blindside us with her words and her, her seduction. And we're on the run. And we're getting, where, where, where do I go? Where do I go? I got to go. I, you know, Sunday comes. I just need that. I need that blessing again. I need that power again. And we're on the way. And guess what? That gets, that gets exhausting. That gets so exhausting. 
Doesn't it? Does that get exhausting? It gets exhausting. And he's, he's asleep. And the angel touches him and says, rise and eat. Rise and eat. And this here is where God begins to speak to Elijah. What has happened here? The next, next verse says, he looked and behold, there was at his head. So he's laying down under this broom tree. And he looks and right at his head, there's a cake that's, being, that's cooking on, on hot stones in a jar of water. This is in the wilderness, right? This is an angel has prepared this for him. Where does this come from? Where's the stones? Where, where does it all come from? It's, it's a provision from God. And cake speaks of in the Bible in the Old Testament of the physical body of Christ, that bread that was broken for us. And the hot stones speak of the eternal sacrifice, that fire that's burning. And what, is, what does Elijah look like when he's looking for courage, when he's looking for that, when he's exhausted from his, his power pursuit? He looks, and there's a, there's, there's a picture of Christ next to him. And he says, arise and eat, arise and eat. And that's where, when we're discouraged, man, I tell you what, COVID has been discouraging. It has not been fun on every realm. And, you know, I think after this meeting today, we go home, and maybe we're going home to some discouraging circumstances, and we just want to crash. But you know what? Crash. Go to sleep. But when you wake up, Christ is going to be right there, and there's going to be a jar of water. And guess what happens? He goes back to sleep. And he says in, in, in verse 7, a second time, touches him and rise and eat for the journey is too great for you. I can't wait to get to heaven and meet some of these angels. Like, just ask them, like, how was it for you, man? I was just, you dealing with my carnality. You know, like, how was that for you? And he, and he came the second time and he touched him. He said, arise and eat. The journey is too great for you. And he rose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights up to Sinai or Horeb, the Mount of God. You know, one encounter with an understanding of who Jesus Christ is in our life sets us on a journey. And 40 always talks about trials in the Bible. 40 means the completeness of a trial. 40 years in the desert, 40 years, 40 days and night, Jesus is in the desert. Uh, 40 years, the children of Israel are walking through on their way to the promised land. 40 it always describes and always points to trials. And you know what's going to sustain us in the trial of our faith? a revelation of who Jesus Christ is, the broken bread and the water, that which is the living word of God. It's the spirit of God. And the second time he said, arise, and he ate and drank, and he went 40 days and 40 nights. In verse 10, he's not done, though. His discouragement, he's still, he's still in discourage mode. And if we, if, we go down to, um, if we go down to verse 9, and when he came to a cave and lodged in it, and, he be, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? You're, dis- you're disoriented. You're discouraged. You're in the wrong place. And in verse 10, this is the fifth symptom of discouragement in, in his life. And he said, I have been very zealous for the, for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. What's going on with Elijah? Discouragement always leads, if it's not checked in our life. And, you know, during the road of discouragement, we're getting encouragement, but we're still there. You know, I'm encouraged, but, you know, I'm still working through it. And guess what happens? Discouragement always leads to self-centeredness in the face of injustice. I've been wronged. Or, I was about the Lord's business, and then I was wronged. 
you know how many pastors today can say, you know what, I, I was a pastor, and then I was, I, was, there was, it was, I was not thanked, there was no gratitude, I was railroaded, and all these bad things, and then they just go off the rest of their life of retirement and bitterness, and, and embitterment. That can happen because we have a wrong sense of what God is doing, and we're, we get discouraged, we get self-centered. And in verse 13, let's go down to, um, let's go down to verse 11. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by with a great strong wind, tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Finally, some power, right? Here he is. Okay, God's going to give him that, that experience that he wants. He's there. God takes him out. And there's this, great, there's, this, there's this great strong wind that tore through the mountains. Can you imagine wind so strong that it's breaking mountains apart? That's pretty intense. But the Lord was not in the wind. You ever do something, you're looking for that powerful experience, that powerful affirmation from God, and you get it, and you're just like, man, I'm, I'm just empty. Like that, God wasn't in that. God wasn't in that. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. You know, God has to show us multiple times through multiple events that we, that we would, that, that our addiction to the sense of spiritual power in our life would be broken so that it's no longer about power, but it's now about the cross. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about the bread that's at my head, that's in my thought life, that's right next to my head, that's in my mind, and the jar of water, the faithfulness of God, that God met me there. And after the earthquake of fire, the Lord was not in the fire, in verse 12, and after the fire, the sound of a what? I like how the ESV puts it here, a low whisper. A low whisper. I think in the King James, it's like a still small voice, right? A quiet voice. What's that? A still small voice. I'm going to wrap it up here. After all of that, we're like Robert. We're throwing our hands up. But God, okay, that's it, you know? You know? And we're thoroughly discouraged, you know? And, and I don't know why God does that. I don't know why. I don't know. There's, all of us have Tennessees in our life. I've got a Philadelphia in my life. And he's like, what was that all about, you know? And there's, a low, there's that low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, Verse 13, and this is the final, this is the last, this is, I think, the sixth signature of, sh- of, of, of discouragement in a believer's life, in your life. He hears, this, he hears a little whisper. He, just, he, just, he, just, he discovers this is the voice of God, and he hears the voice of God, and it's a still small voice. It's a low whisper, and, he, and, he, and he, what does he do? He heard it, and what does he do? He wrapped his face in his cloak. He wrapped his face in his cloak. What does that mean? Does that sound familiar? Well, here's Moses on his Mount Sinai. And what does he do? He covers his face. Why? He was afraid of God. That speaks of shame. You know, shame always is the last stop, is the last stop on the railroad, on the highway of discouragement. We're just, you know what? I just want to cover my face, man. I just want to have masks all over my face. You know, I want to come to church with like a mask on the back of my head. I mean, I'm so ashamed of myself. And he just walks in and guess what happens? He stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Same question. What are you doing? Why are you seeking this power? Why are you seeking this experience? You are 50, 60 days or something like that away from your home. And what does he do? In verse 14, 
Elijah repeats his whole, his whole issue that he has with God about injustice. And the Lord said in verse 15, what does he do? We're at the end of our road and we're totally discouraged and we're at, this, we're at the wrong place. The voice of God meets us. What does God do? God doesn't give him a, a psychoanalysis of why he was discouraged. I like that. In John chapter 20, when, when Peter fails and he's in the wrong place at the wrong time, what, what does God do in John chapter 20? What does Jesus do? Gives him a calling. He calls him. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. What does God do to us in the midst of our call, in the midst of our discouragement? Well, I can say by personal experience, this is what God has done in my life. When we're at the end of that road, we discover, you know what, it's not about power. The mountain that I'm seeking, the Mount Sinai that I'm seeking, the power that I'm seeking is not truly the mountain that God wants to lead me to. He wants to lead me to another mountain, and that's the Mount Calvary. Courage, and this is the main point I want to make tonight, uh, today. Courage is not the power for me to stand up and speak my mind and, and, and make a ruckus and show up at some riot somewhere. Courage in my life is for me to be able to stand up and be available and ready to be crucified. Courage to be crucified. Do you know why? Because in the midst of my crucifixion, I know that my courage comes not from, not from more fire coming down in my life, but that when I am laid out under the broom tree, Jesus is going to show up. He's going to send an angel. And there's going to be a revelation of the presence of Christ in my life. That Jesus loves me. That Jesus is walking with me. And when we are in our dark caves, you know, every one of us have these caves that we just, you know, <laughs> we have these shame caves that we, that we you know, we sulk into. And I can always tell when somebody's in it because they just isolate themselves. Elijah thought he was going to go to a mountain of power, but God led him to the mountain Calvary where, where he discovered a crucified Christ. And that's courage. That's true courage in your life. When you can say, you know what? Though you slay me, God, I will trust you. Though you slay me, I will trust you. You know, like, I, just okay, shoot me down. Like, I don't understand anything. I don't know what's going on. I want to, I did the will of God. And I had, you know, I am in the center of this conversation with God. And then God says, you know, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And then what happens? God gives you a calling. I just want to say this in the closing. There's a call in our lives. God has a calling for you. In Poland, when I lived in Poland, we would talk to these priests sometimes in the Catholic Church. And they used this, they used this sentence um, in Polish. If I would tell you in Polish, you would understand it. Um, Timosz Powołania, like you have a calling. What is your calling? Well, I'm called to be a doctor. I'm called to be a dentist. I'm called to be a business. But this is a high and holy calling. And God gives us a calling. And you know something? And you're going to discover in the most discouraging moments of your life, there's going to be a low whisper. And it's just saying, what are you doing here? And what does he say to Elijah? Go and return. Just turn around. Go back. Go back to that place of threats and scariness and Jezebel. Because you know what? I've got a plan for you. And what does he do? It says here, he just gives him this random thing. I, you know what? By the way, okay, that's good. We're done there. Uh, Elijah, you okay? All right, great. I want you to go and anoint king in the king. I want you to anoint this guy. His name is Hazael to be king over Syria. Go anoint him. And then he says, after you do that, I want you to go to find Jehu, the son of Nimshi, and you shall anoint, and you shall anoint him to be king over Israel. And Elisha, and Elisha, the son of Shabbat or Shaphat of Abel Mehalah, should have practiced this before I preached you shall anoint him to be prophet in your place. And you know something? Guess what? When you and I walk through, and again, Robert said it today. 
when you and I walk through our discouragement and we just get over all these six stages of discouragement and we get healed, God gives us a calling and he says, I'm sending you somewhere. Michael, I'm sending you somewhere. I'm sending you somewhere. I'm, I'm sending you somewhere. I'm giving you a calling because you're valuable. You have a call in your life. And I'm going to call you to go and anoint people and to put people in places and to set you up over kings and nations. And guess what? I'm going to give you an Elisha. You know, I'm going to give you an Elisha because Elisha is going to help you. God gives us friends. God gives us friends. And we need that. We need the body, don't we? This room is full of Elishas, right? That's why we need to be here. We need to be here. We need to be encouraged. Um, we, need to, we need to look at each other in the eye, lo- love each other and encourage each other and reflect to each other the calling that we have. Because courage is not, courage is not what the world defines it to be. Courage is, courage is, courage is looking at Elijah and knowing that in my desert, I'm going to be touched by God and the revelation of Christ in my life is going to give me strength to walk 40 days through the greatest trials of my life. Amen. So let's close in prayer. Father, thank you, God. And we just pray, Lord, that you would really just encourage each one of us in here, Lord. And God, I want to just thank you for some of the great things that you're doing in our midst. 